Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Well here at STSA. Welcome. It's a great Sunday to be here. We're kicking off a new series today called Building Blocks, A Life of Prayer. And before I get into this series and what it's about, let me tell you, I am at the same time very excited about this series and very terrified about this series. And the reason why I'm excited is because, as you see from the title, we're going to be talking about prayer. And I believe that when we talk about prayer, especially when maybe we reframe prayer, as I will today in, in, in a few moments, that I believe that prayer is really the answer to everything that you're looking for in life. And I believe that everything that we want from God, we receive in prayer. And I believe that if we figured out prayer and got this prayer thing down right, our lives would look completely different than they look right now. The amount of peace, the amount of joy, the amount of love, the amount of security, the amount of blessing, like all the good stuff in life that God wants to give to us is through prayer. So on that front, I'm super excited about this series. But I'm terrified about this series because I don't think I'm the one who's qualified to preach it. Because I'm going to sit here and try to present to you the importance of a life of prayer, knowing full well that I struggle the most with prayer. And if you ask me about anything in this world that I would like to do, I could give you a thousand things that I'd rather do on my day off tomorrow than spend a day in prayer. So I'm at the same time excited, but I'm at the same time also terrified about this series. And because of that, whenever I'm scared about something, I, my best way is I'm just jump right in. I'm not intro, like I'm just jump straight in. Like I'm the jump into the deep end of the pool. Like I think the easiest way to do something hard is jump right in. So here is the message of this, of this series in a nutshell. And that is this. It's that prayer isn't an act that we do. It's a home that we build. This is the main idea of the series. This is what I'm trying to beat in our heads every single week over the, over the next six weeks. Is that prayer is not an act that we do, it is a home that we build. I say the word prayer and you have a picture in your mind. You could draw a picture of what you think prayer looks like. Maybe it looks like someone standing like this, maybe standing like this, or maybe it's kneeling. Maybe it's someone crying. Maybe it's someone shouting. Maybe it's someone repenting. Maybe it's someone who just looks like they're miserable and on their, on their deathbed or whatever it may be. It's someone feeling something, experiencing something. Well, if you ask me, all that stuff is great, but that's not what prayer is. Like that may be part of prayer and you may experience that stuff, but I'll be the first one to say, I don't, okay? I don't cry when I pray. I don't, I don't, I don't cry when I pray, okay? I don't, I don't uh, shout and scream and beat my chest. I don't feel like the heavens are open when I pray. In fact, sometimes I feel like heaven screams back and says, out for lunch when I pray. I don't have any earth moving or earth shattering experiences when I pray. But that's not what prayer is supposed to be. That stuff is great if that's you, but I'm not talking to you. Like if that's you, you can just kind of turn me off for the next five or six weeks because you got it figured out. But to the rest of us who struggle with prayer and don't know if our prayers are heard and don't like prayer, I think what we need to do is reframe how we look at prayer. Prayer is not an act, prayer is a home. Prayer is not something we do, it's something we build. Think of prayer, this is gonna be the premise of this whole series, as a house that we build. And when we have prayer in our life, it's a house that we build and it's a house for Jesus to come and visit us. So prayer, not the act, prayer, the home, is a place where we meet Jesus. And we meet him and he gives us promises that he wants to give us from the Father. Or he gives us joy that only he can give. Or he gives peace, or he gives forgiveness, or he gives whatever. Prayer is then not the goal. Prayer is just the context or the framework through which God interacts with us 
in life. I wanted to name this series, but I was outvoted by the powers that be. If you build it, he will come. Because that's what I think prayer is. It's if you build it, he will come. The goal is not the prayer. The goal is not the words. The goal is not the standing. The goal is a framework for Christ to come into our lives. And when we have this prayer framework, we invite God into our lives, our homes, our families, our whatever. Here's our theme verse. Revelation chapter three, verse 20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's the goal of prayer. The goal isn't how long did you pray? The goal isn't what words did you say? The goal is building a home for Christ to enter. And whatever happens when Christ enters, we know will be something good because this is all that we want in life. Let's go back in time a little bit right here. When God created Adam and Eve, when God created humanity, God created man for prayer. The reason we, were, we exist is for prayer. Because by my definition of prayer, all prayer is, is interaction with God. This is what we were created for. When God created man in the garden, what was man doing in that garden? We know that God told him to take care of the ground, take care of the dogs and the birds and the seeds and all that kind of stuff. But we also know that the garden was a home for God just as much as it was for Adam and Eve. It was the context through which God communicated with Adam and Eve. And God would, I'm making this stuff up, but this is how I imagine it. God would take walks with Adam. Like Adam would be walking through the garden and there would be God. And Adam would speak to him. And then Eve would go and she would go, you know, do whatever she would do, whatever in the garden, okay? I don't know what she would do, but she would, whatever she would do, and she would have a conversation with God on the way. And then she would sit down and she would eat, not the apple, but eat maybe an orange or a banana or something else, okay? And she would conversate with God over there. It was the place of interaction. After the fall, and man had to leave the interaction. Man had to leave the home that God built. First thing that God told him when he got things back together with Moses, Moses, I need you to build me a home. I need you to build me a tabernacle, a place where I can live and you guys can come visit and then we can communicate. We can interact with one another. That's prayer. And that's why he was commanded to build the tabernacle. That eventually led to the temple, a house that you can build where you can walk in one door and I can be in the other side and we can interact with one another. Then when Christ came, no more tabernacle, no more temple. The true temple is Christ himself. And in Christ, man can now interact with the Father through Christ, who was fully God and fully man. The connection now between God and man is now complete. So I say it this way. Before Jesus, prayer was man reaching out, hoping God was there. After Jesus, now prayer is man reaching in, knowing that he is there. See, before Christ, you had to go to this house and only certain people could go. You could only go on certain times of the year and there was only certain context in which you could communicate with God. And you just kind of hoped that God heard when you called out. You reached out hoping that someone is there. Sounds similar to what we experience now, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. What prayer is now is us reaching in, knowing that he is there and knowing that at any time of the day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no holidays, actually extra on holidays, he's there. You can reach in, not out, reach in and communicate with the maker of the universe. But our challenge in this series is not the importance of prayer. I'm not going to talk about why prayer is important. I'm going to make the assumption that you know that and that's why you're here. 
I'll make the assumption not only you know it, that you could probably give just as good a sermon as me about the importance of prayer and why we need it and how important it is how our lives can't work without it. I want to focus on how to do it. And as I kind of alluded to earlier when I was talking about this at the end of the liturgy today, I was saying I want this series to be less about me instructing you in a life of prayer, because it's not. This series is us as a support group. Just like, let's say, you know, a weight loss support group. You need somebody to come tell you, you shouldn't eat that Twinkie. I know I shouldn't eat the Twinkie. You shouldn't eat that cupcake. I know I shouldn't eat the cupcake. You need somebody to tell you, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. We all know that. What we need is somebody to walk with us and say, hey, together, let's come up with strategies of how we can replace the Twinkies with the whatever it may be. We need the same thing with prayer. You don't need me to sit here and tell you, you have to pray. You didn't pray? What's wrong with you? Why didn't you pray? Prayer is really important. Like, we all know that. And that's actually, if you ask my opinion, why a lot of times we don't pray. Because we feel too guilty to pray. Because we feel too bad and we have this very high bar. You don't need that. This is not me instructing you. This is me, hopefully, holding your hand and us holding hands with each other. Because we're going to do this thing life group style. Okay, and during this series, we're doing life groups where we meet throughout the week in smaller group settings. And we're going to help each other to pray. And we're going to encourage each other to pray. And just like, like I said, in those support groups, we all know what we need to do, but we also know that we can't do it on our own. Okay, I'll talk more about life groups in a little bit. Don't, don't worry about that for right now, but we'll get there. The starting point in any support group, the starting point in any support group, the starting point in any solving any problem, making any change, is figuring out why you haven't done it so far. Figuring out your excuses. And I wanted to share with you, okay, because if I'm going to preach to you something, I'm going to do it myself. So I started to go through, and I came up with a list of the top three reasons I don't pray more. The top three reasons. There's many reasons. The top three reasons. And I want you to go through the same exercise of why you don't pray more. And you're not allowed to say busy. Okay, you're not allowed to say don't have time because every one of us has the same amount of time. So lack of time doesn't count. Everyone has enough time to do whatever it is that they want to do. Just go look at your Netflix history and you'll see that, okay? You can't say I don't have enough time. What are the reasons why I don't pray more in my life? I'm a priest, man of God. Listen to the reason. The first reason that I came up with is my feet hurt. My feet hurt. I don't know why. Maybe it's something about the posture or the position. I don't know why. I could be on my feet six hours, seven hours, eight hours of the day. I stand for two minutes of prayer and my feet hurt. I don't know what it is. Something in, in, in the balls or the corns or the toes or the, the fields or something like that. So I stand up to pray. I'm like, oh, my feet are really hurt. My feet hurt so bad. <laughs> my feet hurt. I'm telling you, I, 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 I can be on my feet. I, I don't, I'm a very active person. I ran a half marathon. My feet didn't hurt as much as they hurt in two minutes, okay, of standing in prayer. And oftentimes, what distracts me and gets me to stop is my feet hurt. Number two, I'm being honest. Every time I stand to pray, I have to go to the bathroom. I don't know what it is. Prayer, just, you ever getting stuck in there? Go to prayer, and it just comes right out. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, my morning prayer, my morning prayer, my morning prayer, I go to the bathroom, no joke, three times before I'm done my morning prayer. And at least two of them are usually a code red situation, if you know what I'm talking about. Third reason, and this is just the dumbest of them all, and this really affects my nighttime prayer. I don't know if you've ever done this one, okay? We can be honest right here. We're confessing in front of one another. You ever done that? I'm standing up, and of course, when I'm standing up to pray, my feet hurt, okay? So therefore, because I don't want to be distracted by my feet hurt, I'm going to lie down. 
And because I don't want to be distracted by any outside things, I will close my eyes. So it's nighttime. I'm going to lie down and close my eyes and spend all night in prayer, which obviously lasts approximately 15 seconds. Yeah, we fall forward every single time. So there I am, man of God. Feet hurt. Got to go to the bathroom. Lie down to focus on prayer. If I showed you that list on a piece of paper, you'd say that was written by a third grader and that's his excuses. And I'm telling you, no, that's me. My point is to say is that all of us struggle with prayer, that there isn't anyone who's naturally good at prayer. And if you are, you should be up here, not me. All of us struggle with prayer. And the goal in this series is not to make you feel worse, but the goal is let's together, like let's do this together. Like let's be partners. Whenever you want to start a habit, you always have an in an exponentially greater likelihood of success if you have a partner to do it with you. That's why I'm saying we're gonna do this as a church. We're gonna do this in our life groups. We're gonna get together and we're gonna say, you know what? We struggle with this kind of prayer. How, and we're gonna share ideas and you're gonna be good in one area and I'm gonna be weak. And we're together gonna pray and we're together gonna share about how we can improve in this area. Now, with that said, I say join a life group, get together in, in a group, and we're gonna share and we're gonna discuss prayer and we're gonna pray together. And then automatically, again, some of you have the picture in your mind of, not for me. Because I've been in those weird prayer circle meeting things and it's just weird, okay? The tissue box starts going and people crying and, and, and people shouting and I'm just, like, that's just not me. Like, that's weird and I'm not into the weird prayer meeting kind of a stuff. Say to you is, just relax. No one's gonna make you pray. No one's gonna make you cry. No one's going to, to put you out there on the spot and force you. No one's going to do anything like that. The goal is discuss and support and share. Because we all know what it's like to be in an awkward prayer meeting. Do you know what it's like to be in an awkward prayer meeting? We're going to watch a little video clip right now, okay, that maybe you recognize some of these things from some of your past prayer meeting experiences. Watch this video clip right now. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, Lord Jesus, and all your wonderful, Lord Jesus, things that you, Lord Jesus, do for us, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, uh, I just want to thank you for Annie and Sarah and Molly. I know that with your strength, we can change the world! We can change the world! Woo! Mercury, Venus. Earth, Mars, and we give you the praise. Yes, Jesus. We cannot wait to see what you're gonna yes. do today. And we are excited. Aunt Margaret's really nasty hangnail. And I worship you forever and ever. God, I, uh, I just, uh... Um, toilet paper, deodorant. Speaking of, I need to get some more. Hey God, uh, thanks for bringing us here today. Thank you for all the stuff that you're gonna do in our lives. Uh, the way you're gonna work is absolutely amazing and we are super amped for everything that you hold for us. I just don't know what to say.
Hey God, man, you're great. Help me find a mate. Amen. Salt, garlic salt, sea salt, kosher salt. God, just, just let your doves of knowledge flow from under our fingernails of repentance. Firewire 200, Firewire 400, Firewire 800, IDE, Thunderbolt. I'm glad we could all have a laugh, but there really was no reason to point to people during the different sections, okay? That was just uncalled for, okay? None of that in this series. None of that in this series. This series is not about anything weird. This series is about an invitation to build a home for God to dwell amongst us. Let's go back to our theme verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Again, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I read this verse and I think of a famous story in the New Testament, the story of the prodigal son, a story which you probably heard many, many times, a story about a father with two sons. One of the sons leaves home in kind of a not nice way, and the whole time, as the father is waiting for his son, waiting for his son, waiting for his son to return, you can imagine the father saying a verse similar to this, that behold, I stand, maybe not knocking in this situation, but waiting, waiting for my son to come back. Let me ask you this question. The father waiting for the son to come home, why did he want the son to come home? Why did the father desire the son's return? For the father's sake? Did the father need the son? Was the father lacking anything when the son left? Or was it the father's heart ached because he knew the son was lacking him and the son was missing out on him? And he knew that as, far, as long as the son was outside of his home, outside of where he belonged, then the son was going to be lacking what he needed. I think this is a good picture of God with us in prayer. How? Every single morning, every single morning, you didn't realize this. Your alarm goes off. You know the first person to greet you is? First person waiting for you by, the, by your alarm clock? It's God, your heavenly father. And he's been up all night. And he's waiting for you. And he's got something good for you. And he says, today, I know my boy, my girl, is gonna have a hard day. Boss is gonna be down her throat. You know, her, 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 her sister's gonna give her a hard time with this. I know she's gonna be challenged with this. I know he's gonna be tempted with this. So I'm gonna be the first one to greet them in the morning. And I'm gonna give them what they need. I'm gonna give them strength. I'm gonna give them power. I'm gonna give them wisdom. I'm gonna give them patience. I'm gonna give them all that they need. And I'm just waiting for them to wake up, to come into the house of prayer, and I'm gonna give them all this good stuff. And we hit snooze. And then we hit snooze again. Maybe one a third time. And then we walk right by God because we're late. We go brush our teeth and we get dressed and we rush out of the house. Without even saying good morning, God, without saying any kind of prayer. And God says, okay, I know. Busy day. Like, I got it. Like, I, I get it. Deadline. Like, I got you. But I'm sure. <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to leave them in the morning at lunchtime. At lunchtime, I'm going to be right there. Right before they go to lunch. For sure. They're going to stop by me. And they're going to come and ask. And I'm going to give them stuff. 
They already missed what I wanted to give them in the morning. Like it's, I, my heart aches that they went through those morning meetings without the wisdom I wanted to give them. My heart aches for that, but that's okay. We got the rest of the day. Here comes lunch and there goes lunch. And we walk right by. Same thing in the afternoon. Same thing in the evening. Nighttime, for sure, for sure. God is saying, for sure, my boy is not gonna go to sleep tonight without coming to me. Like he already missed out on this big, huge meal I was gonna give him all day. Like I feel so bad, not for my sake. I'm the prodigal son, the father. I'm not feeling bad for my sake. I feel bad that my son was outside eating pig food and my son was out there by himself. My son needed to be in his father's home and he missed out on that, but that's okay. Here comes night, no way. No way he goes to sleep without coming and saying hello. No way he doesn't come check in. No way. And there we go, down to sleep. And then next day repeat. And then next day repeat. And then next day repeat. And then we come to God and say, God has left me. God doesn't give me wisdom when I need it. God doesn't help me in my temptations. Oh, really? God doesn't give me the patience and the answers that I'm looking for. Oh, really? God doesn't give me? Like the father in the story. Like the father in the story. God is waiting. Not waiting because he needs anything from us, but because he knows that we need him. And he knows that every day that goes by that we are outside of the home of prayer. Prayer is the home, the context through which we communicate with God. Every day that goes by that we are outside of that is a day that we are not at home, a day that we are gonna struggle and a day that we're gonna eat pig food, and a day that we're not gonna have power, and a day that we're not gonna have joy, and a day that we're not gonna have all that we need to get through that day. It's not for his sake, it's for our sake. We kinda got this thing backwards. I don't know whether it was Sunday school, or maybe, I, or I don't know how we grew up, where we thought we were doing God a favor by praying. And we thought like, I need to pray, because God like says you have to pray. So like, okay, here we go, God. Here's three minutes of focused, my best distracted, not focused prayer. Here's three minutes. You owe me, God. Give me your three minutes. What, what, what happened? When we're outside of prayer, like the father in the prodigal son's story, God sees us fighting for things that he has to give abundantly and freely. What do we struggle with in this world? What are our struggles? Let me share with you universal struggle that every single person in this room, starting with me, every single person struggles with. Security. Everyone is insecure about something, okay? Come to that conclusion, every single person is insecure about something. Where can we find unconditional security, eternal security in who we are? In prayer. Where we struggle with? We struggle with guilt and feeling bad and shame. Where can we find forgiveness, the unlimited, unconditional kind? In prayer. Where can we find joy? In prayer. Where can we find peace? In prayer. You tell me what you're lacking, and I will tell you that the answer to it is communicating with God in prayer because it's in prayer that God gives all that we need, our daily bread. So I'm gonna look at prayer this way. I'm gonna say an invitation to prayer, which is what this series is, is not really an invitation to do anything. It's an invitation to come home. An invitation to prayer. I'm inviting you to prayer. I'm inviting you to come home to where you belong, to your father's table. Because when we're in prayer, that's where we belong. When we're in prayer and we're in the house that God asks us to build a prayer, that's when everything is right. Now, this idea of prayer as a home, 
We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And you'll see mentions of this throughout the Old Testament, but we'll take this passage right here. It says, even then, even them, I'm sorry, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. We're going to draw the picture of prayer as a house. And this house of prayer has different rooms. Every room in the house is equally as important, even though they're not equally as exciting. In any house, you can't just have, like, what's the best room in the house? You like the family room. You can't just have, like, six family rooms. It'd be nice, it'd be comfortable, but then what are you going to do when someone comes over for dinner? You got to have a dining room. And you got to have a place to sleep. You got to have a bedroom. Then you got to have a place that you can go to the bathroom. The bathroom. Like, you need different rooms to do, accomplish different purposes. Same thing in the house of prayer. In the house of prayer, each week we're going to look at different kinds of prayer. We're going to look at five different kinds of prayer. And this is not an exhaustive list by any means. Okay, I could, 20 different kinds of prayer. But I'm going to talk about five different kinds of prayer, and they're going to correlate to different rooms inside a house. We're going to start next week by talking about the family room of this house. And family room is simple prayer. Just relax, informal, bring whatever is on your heart, cast all your care upon him kind of prayer. That's a super important kind of prayer. Family room is important, but you know, like you got to have not just the family room, but you got to have that fancy room where your parents invited people that you weren't allowed to attend, the living room. So you have to have a living room in prayer, and that's formal prayer. That's structured prayer. Like it's good to just talk with God in the shower or talk with God on the bus or talk with God in between whatever. Like that's great. That's simple prayer. But there also needs to be some structured prayer. And we'll talk about that the week after. We're going to talk about the office or the study of the prayer house, which is praying through scripture. And we need to have a relationship with God through his word. We're going to talk about the dining room of prayer, which is intercessory prayer, where we invite someone else in and we are concerned about them. And then we're going to talk about the pinnacle. What's the highest room in the house? The bedroom. And the bedroom is the place of the greatest intimacy in the house. That's the place we're trying to get to. That's liturgical prayer. And we're going to talk about how we find union or communion with God in that particular form of prayer. But here's the important part. Here's the important part. The goal is to reach that highest level of prayer. But you cannot reach there without building the rest of the house. Like, can you have a house that's just bedroom? Some of you say that is your house, your studio. Okay, so, but that's not the ideal, okay? Some of you, I realize that's what it is. But you don't just start in the bedroom, okay? The bedroom is the place you're aiming for, but it's built on a foundation of the rest of the house. Like, if the family room has a hole in the wall, and the living room is leaking whatever, and the basement has a pipe that's burst, you're not going to have intimacy in that bedroom when the house is broken all over the place on the first floor. Same thing is true in the house of prayer. We all want this, but I'm saying you'll never find this unless you build this. And we're going to see that throughout this series. Liturgical prayer may be the pinnacle, but it'll only be as strong as the rest of the house of prayer. If you have no simple prayer life, no structured prayer life, no intercessory prayer life, no praying through scripture, then I bet you that your liturgical prayer life will be weak. It will be. And if you look at it, when Christ ordained liturgical worship, when Christ ordained the Eucharist, communion, the last supper, notice it's called the last supper, not the first supper. It wasn't at the beginning. It wasn't like, hey guys, my name is Jesus. Come on into this last supper thing. I'm gonna give you something great. No, 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 no. 
We had to work our way up there. We had to build the fellowship and the intimacy. And then the pinnacle, the climax was the last supper, wasn't the first supper. Same thing gonna be for us. Our liturgical life will only be as strong as the rest of our life of prayer. Each week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through different forms of prayer. And we're gonna see how our prayer life, just like our house, has diversity. And there's some rooms that have a certain type of furniture. Other rooms have a different type. And we're gonna see in our prayer, there's some prayer that looks over here and some prayer that looks over here. And we're gonna see that there are different ways to pray and we need them all. Some of you may not be convinced by that. So let me kind of clear, clear this up right off the bat. Is there a right way to pray? Is there like a, this is the right way to pray? Let me ask it a different way. Is there a wrong way to pray? Or is any kind of prayer okay? I would say there is a right way to pray. Better way of saying it, for sure, there's wrong ways to pray. St. Augustine once said that true whole prayer is nothing but love. He said that true prayer or right prayer is love. Let me ask you this question. Is there a right way to love? Is there a right way to love someone? Like, I want to love my wife. You want to love your kids. You want to love your, your parents, whatever it may be. Is there a right way to love? Is the right way to love, should I, as a husband, should I listen to my wife or speak to my wife and encourage her? Which is the right way? Speak or listen? <laughs> Some husband said, listen. Okay. <laughs> he, he didn't even, he didn't hesitate. It's just listen. Okay. He's never speak. Okay. Very good. That's a smart man. Probably been married many years. Okay. <laughs> is the right way to love my wife to help her with the dishes when I come home from work or is it to play with the kids while she does the dishes? What's the right way to love her? What's the right way to love her on Valentine's Day? To buy her a box of chocolates or take her out to a fancy dinner? Is there a right way to love and a wrong way to love? Well, it would seem like the answer is then that there's no right way. Like at times you need to, uh, uh, sorry to the gentleman who said the other way, at times you do need to talk, okay? And at times you need to listen. At times you do need to play with the kids and at times you need to roll up them sleeves and do the dishes. Valentine's Day is the only exception where you need to get the chocolate and do the date. Okay, that's the one where there's no either or. That's what and. Okay, you cheapskate, get her both. Okay. But in every other situation, there's no prescription for how to love. There's no like, okay, to love her, just buy her this on Valentine's Day, send her this on her birthday, and I'll try to remember your anniversary and do this, and then you're good. So then how can I say there's a right way and a wrong way to love? I would say the criteria for the right kind of prayer is sincere. Yes, there is no formula for how to love or for how to pray. But the key is that whatever you do has to be sincere. If it's sincere, it's right, no matter what it is. And if it's not sincere, it's wrong, no matter what it is. An hour of insincere prayer will never be acceptable. And 10 seconds of lifting your heart to God in true sincerity will always be accepted by God. Back to Valentine's Day. The year was 2000. A young father, Anthony, was just engaged to his fiance, Marianne. We were engaged in February, or we engaged in January, so this is now February, we got married in May. Don't recommend that timetable for others, but that was just what we were, okay? A little bit of the fast track. 
is our first Valentine's Day. What did, what would a classy guy like me do for his wife, his fiance, like in the in love, like still trying to work at it phase, okay? Which we all know it doesn't last very long, but in that engagement phase, like what would a young Romeo like myself, get ready, gentlemen, get your pens out. I'm gonna give you some information right here that could do you very, very, very much good in life. Where'd I take my wife? We went out for a fancy meal. All stops pulled out and I let her get whatever she want off the special menu. You know the special menu? The special menu. We went to Taco Bell. <laughs> the special menu was the 99 cent value menu. We spent, I had the receipt for several months after, we spent $3.13 that night. Okay. And it was such an epic way to spend your first Valentine's Day for me that my coworkers at the office said, what are you gonna do for your, for your fiance on Valentine's Day? And I'm like, I don't know, probably like Taco Bell or something like that. They're like, no way, You're full of it, no way, no way. And I'm like, that's what I'm gonna do. They're like, there's no way, there's no way. Next day I came in with a receipt, $3.13, and they said, you are our hero. <laughs> But let me tell you why that was an acceptable gift to my wife. Not because she's got low, she's kind of got low standards, but that's <laughs> not just because of that, not just because the bar is set very low in our household, but because that first Valentine's Day was a Wednesday night. Wednesdays, we fast, as we're supposed to, which means we don't eat fancy food, we eat vegan. In addition, we had a, at our, our church, we had a Bible study that we would always attend and I had like a service that I would do afterwards and you know, we had our things. So my wife knew that for me, Wednesday nights never eat out and Wednesday nights was at church and she was the same way. Wednesday night was at church and Wednesday night was fast. So she saw my piddly pathetic little effort to go to Taco Bell and go dollar menu, dollar menu, dollar menu. And she accepted it and we're happily married, I think, okay. <laughs> to this day. Why? Because it was sincere work. Now, gentlemen, I do not recommend you doing what I just did. I do not recommend it at all. But my point is to tell you that it's not the thing. It's the sincerity of the thing. It's not the act. It's the sincerity of the act. And the opposite is also true. Big, great acts with insincere heart will never be accepted by your wife or by your God as well. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What God looks at in the acceptability of a gift is the sincerity. That's why Jesus tells a story about a lady who offered two pennies, two mites, and Jesus said, that's the best gift in the whole wide world. Not because the gift, the sincerity of the gift. That's why. Jesus also tells a story about a publican, a sinner, a tax collector guy who went into the temple one day and had the most pathetic prayer of all time. Lord, forgive me a sinner. Like that's all he could muster. And there was a Pharisee right next to him who had glowing, shining words based on scripture. But Jesus said that that publican with his piddly, pathetic little prayer, that's the one that I accept. That's why Jesus hung on a cross. And there was a thief on his right who said one sentence, one sentence. And it didn't even seem like it was that strong of a sentence. All he said was, remember me, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom. But Jesus saw the heart behind it. And because the heart was sincere, Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. We focus on words. We focus on technique. 
We focus on time. Jesus focuses on heart and sincerity. And that's hopefully a shift that we can make. I'm going to give you a good book recommendation. People always ask me for book recommendations. I'll give you a great book recommendation. One of the first books I ever read, spiritual books, Christian books, called The Practice of the Presence of God by a guy named Dr. Lawrence, who was a Catholic monk who lived, I don't know, centuries ago. In this book, the whole point of the book, it's about prayer. And in the book, he speaks about how prayer, he's a monk, and they have like their set times of prayer. But they also have their jobs. And what he would say is that praying for him, whether he was in the chapel on his knees with the rest of his monk brothers, brother monks, or whether he was in the kitchen doing pots and pans, he felt the presence of God equally the same. A couple quotes from that book. He said, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. That's us complicating stuff, saying like, no, I can't pray because I don't know this and I need to do this. And we make it like this big thing. Yet it seems so, yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier? Listen to this, just to do our common business wholly for the love of him. He's saying, when I wash dishes, I'm with pots and pans, but I feel the presence of God because God is with me. And I'm doing that out of my love for him. Nor is it needful, fast forward a little bit, nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself and worship before him who has given me the grace to work. Did you catch what he said? He's saying, I'm in the kitchen and I flip the pancake and I do that out of love for him. And then if there's no more work to be done, I bow myself and prostrate towards him. He's saying there's no difference between the two. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. You want to love God, what you're going to discover in this series? There's a, you want to pray? I'm sorry. Prayer and love, same. You want to pray what you're going to discover in this series? A lot of stuff that you never thought was prayer is prayer. And a lot of stuff that you think is prayer is not prayer. That's the challenge of this series. A lot of stuff that you didn't realize could be prayer is prayer because it's love for God and vice versa. So you know what? Prayer could be to help a child study for an exam. That can be a prayer. Prayer can be to feed someone in the street who has no food. Prayer can be to make a phone call to somebody in need. Prayer can even be to feed your cat. Prayer can be anything where we show love to God. And by the same token, the stuff that we think is prayer may not be prayer after all, if there's no heart, if there's no sincerity, and if there's no love in it. We're going to read this passage from Isaiah chapter 6. And this passage is going to speak to us Earlier, I said that the pinnacle of, of love, of prayer, is that liturgical prayer, that communion with God, that intimacy with God. We're going to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 6. We're not going to break it down, because actually we're going to come back to this in the final week of this series. But this is a picture. If, you, if you're here, we're building this house of prayer, and we're right now just on the foundation. And you want to look and say, what's the penthouse suite look like? Like, what's it look like when the prayer house is built the right way? I say Isaiah chapter 6 is what it's supposed to look like. And we'll read it. And again, we're not going to break it down. In the year that King Uzziah died, hold that, okay? That's highlighted for a reason. In the year that King Uzziah died, we'll come back to that. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. This is what your prayer is supposed to be look like. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That's why we pray to see the king, but actually gets better than just seeing the king. He's heard him, he's seen him, and now watch this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tong with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. He said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. He saw him. He heard him, he touched him, he tasted him. That's what prayer is supposed to look like. Now, I'm not gonna break this down, but I draw you this picture. There's one of two reactions that you probably have. And actually both reactions are the same, even though they're opposite. The two reactions that you may have to this, the first reaction is, I can never reach that. That's the first reaction. That's, that's great, Father Anthony. You just told me, you know what? Don't put in the effort. I'm never going to get there. That's never going to be me. I talk to myself in prayer. I'm never going to reach that level. That's one overreaction. The other overreaction is the polar opposite, which is exactly the same, which is, you know what? Okay, that's great. Let's do that. I like that. I'm going to do that tomorrow morning at 8.15. Like, this was great. I want this tomorrow morning, 8.15 to 8.20. I'm going to do that. Both of those reactions are based on the same false premise. And that premise is that we want results without effort. Both of those reactions are based on the idea that either the second guy is like, okay, I'll do that. That should be easy. The first guy is saying, you know what? I can never do that because I don't have that skill. I don't have that, I, I don't have that in me. What I'm saying to you is prayer. If you go look at the people who prayed the best, like the desert fathers, the monks, the guys who have gone before us who used to pray by like, by, for hours and pray all night, and they would like tie their hair on a chain so that if they fell asleep in prayer, it would yank them up, and they would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Those guys talk about prayer as if it's the worst, most painful, most difficult thing on the planet. We look at it as prayer should be a stroll in the park. They looked at it as prayer was work. Prayer is hard. And to reach certain levels of prayer, you gotta be willing to sweat. It's not a matter of some people got it and some people don't. Father Anthony, you're a priest, you can reach that. I'm not a priest, I'm gonna leave me down here. That's not how it works. Prayer is not easy. You can't just show up and get this. Think about this. Isaiah got this vision of heaven. How many other prophets got this vision of heaven? How many other prophets do you think wanted this vision of heaven? You know, I showed you in that, the beginning, it said when the king had died. You know when the king dies, okay, in, in, in the olden days, when the king died, it meant darkness for the whole land. Because you got no king, any other army can just come in and just like take you. Like you can become slaves in a heartbeat because this king can invade you and you got no leader. And then over here, you're like, you, you have no unifying force. So when there is no king, you're in a very, very vulnerable state. And spiritually, they saw the king as God's representative. So they had no physical protection, no political representation, but they also spiritually were empty. And in the midst of that, every prophet cried. Every prophet wanted to see God. 
None of them saw God except Isaiah. Why? I don't know the answer to the question, but I think we have a clue in the very next verse. What made Isaiah able to see God when other prophets also cried and there was darkness over everybody else? Look at this next verse. Seemingly unrelated to prayer. Also, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. What does this verse tell you about Isaiah? What does this verse tell you about Isaiah? Is that Isaiah was willing to put in the work. Isaiah wasn't just strolling on in saying, God, give me a vision. God, give. Isaiah was saying, God, give me a vision and I'll do whatever it takes to get there. And you need someone to go, I'll go. You need someone to sweat, I'll sweat. You need someone to work, I'll work. And now I challenge you. Are you willing to put in the work of prayer? Living in the house is great. Building the house takes effort. Are you willing to work for it? Or you want easy come, easy go? You want to say, I'm not good at prayer. You want to say, prayer is not my thing. I'll give you another quote right here from Elizabeth Elliot. She says, people who ski, I suppose, are people who happen to like skiing, who have time for skiing, who can afford to ski, who are good at skiing. Recently, I found that I often treat prayer as though it were a sport like skiing. Something you do if you like it. Something you do in your spare time. Something you do if you can afford the trouble. Something you do if you're good at it. But prayer isn't a sport, it's work. Prayer is no game. Prayer is the opposite of leisure. It's something to be engaged in, not indulged in. It's a job we give priority to. It's performing when you have energy left for nothing else. In other words, put it for you another way. Those who want the intimacy of the bedroom will never find it unless they put in the effort of the rest of the house. Never gonna find the joy that Isaiah found right here unless you're willing to put in the effort and a little sweat to build the rest of the house. That's our series. Who's excited to build? Back to that Isaiah passage. I bet you other prophets during the time of Isaiah who did not hear the voice of God, who did not see what Isaiah saw, I bet you those other prophets, a lot of them would have said, you'd have said, hey, where's God? I bet you a lot of them would have said, God is not speaking these days. I bet you a lot of them would have said, God is absent these days. No, 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 no. You never experience God these days. It's a time of darkness. And Isaiah would have said, really? Is it that God isn't speaking? Or maybe isn't that you aren't working. Is it that God doesn't want to come in? Or is it that you, that you haven't built a room for him to enter? Prayer isn't an act that we do. Prayer is a home that we build. Like the prodigal son with the father, it's a home that when it's built right, has forgiveness, has wisdom, has security, has joy. Like you tell me what you need. You need rest, I got rest. You need comfort, you got comfort. You tell me what you need, and I tell you that the answer is in a house called prayer. You build it, he will come and he will bring it. But the first step to getting there, our homework assignment for this week, every week we're gonna have a homework assignment. Okay, so today we're, we're excavating. Next week we're gonna build, today we're gonna excavate. Here's your homework assignment, and I just came up with this 
yesterday. So this is important for anyone who signed up for a life group. Your homework assignment is going to be this. Anyone can do this, but if you're in a life group, you get like next level. Here's what we're going to do. Your homework assignment this week is to identify the two or three primary obstacles that are stopping you from a life of prayer. Don't do anything about them. Just identify them. I give you my three dumb obstacles. Identify what are the two or three primary obstacles. And you're not allowed to say busy. I already, we agreed, no busy. You have to identify what it is that's stopping you. And if you're in a life group, here's what we're gonna do. If you're in a life group, I'm gonna reach out to all the life group leaders this week. And I'm gonna ask them that everyone in the life group would write down what their obstacles are. You don't have to write your name next to it, but you can just write down what they are. Either we can collect a sheet or, or we can do on note cards, whatever. And I wanna collect all those. And then I wanna take those pieces of paper and I want to put them here on the altar next week. And I want to pray through each and every single one of those. And I want to say, God, without even knowing the names, you can put your name next to it if you want, but you don't have to. I wanna pray and I wanna say, God, help this person who's got pathetic feet and can't stand for two minutes. Please God, give them stronger feet. And I wanna pray this person who says that they can't focus for more than a minute without being distracted. I wanna pray and say, God, please help this person. I wanna collect those requests because I believe that if you build it, he will come. And that if we're serious about this and we're willing to put in the effort, I do believe that God is going to come. Not because of me, but because, here's our verse one more time. Let's say it all together then I promise I'm done. Read it with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We're gonna hold on to this promise. Jesus said that if we build it, he will come. That he will come knocking. And if we have a room for him, that he will come in and he will dine with us and dwell with us. So our first step, identify the obstacles and begin praying about it. And we'll see what happens after that. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this invitation to prayer, this invitation to return home, the place that we belong. Lord, we, know we, all, we all know we need to pray so we're asking your help during this time to get better at prayer and to kind of remove from our mind the preconceptions that we can't do it or we'll never be good at it. But I pray that during this time that you would help us to build a house for you because our deepest desire of our heart, Lord, the only thing we want is to be able to have that intimacy with you and that communion with you. That's why we wake up in the morning. That's why we go to church on Sundays. That's why we do everything that we do. And I pray that you would help us to find it during this series. I ask these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.